a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Greetings from CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, and this is Global Business. I'm Lily Lu. Coming up in the program, China's foreign minister has called on China, Japan, and South Korea to play a more proactive role in promoting regional and global development. He made remarks during the trilateral foreign ministers meeting held in South Korea's Busan. Profits at China's industrial firms extended gains for a third month in a row in October, adding to signs of stabilizing economy. We get behind the numbers. The first China International Supply Chain Expo kicks off tomorrow. While the event is expected to welcome over a thousand participants from around the world, we give you a sneak peek. A trilateral foreign ministers meeting between China, Japan, and South Korea has been held in South Korea's Busan. China's Wang Yi called on the three countries to play a more proactive role in promoting regional and global development. He stressed that the three countries should focus on mutual benefit and win-win results, restart negotiations on their trilateral free trade agreement, and continue to the common goal of pushing for a free trade area of the Asia Pacific. South Korea. Korea's Park Kim and Japan's Yoko Kamikawa spoke highly of the progress made in the trilateral cooperation and said that they look forward to more substantial uh, substantive cooperation in various fields. The three sides agreed to create conditions for the China-Japan-South Korea leaders meeting. They also exchanged views on international and regional issues of common concern. Jack Barton has more from Busan. A weekend in Busan marked by two days of bilateral meetings between the foreign ministers of China, South Korea, and Japan, all culminating in a meeting of all three neighboring nations with a consensus to restore and normalize three-way cooperation to be furthered through a trilateral leaders summit. I look forward to working together to ensure that the trilateral summit, which is at the pinnacle of trilateral cooperation, will be held as soon as possible based on today's meeting. These meetings were last held in late 2019 before being suspended due to deteriorating relations between Tokyo and Seoul, followed by the COVID-19 pandemic. China's foreign minister said despite the pause, all three had managed to deepen cooperation on issues ranging from the signing of a major regional trade deal to managing the pandemic. This reflects that the cooperation between the three countries has a deep foundation, strong demand, huge potential and broad prospects. Wang added that China, Japan, and South Korea should play an active role in promoting regional and global development. Japan's foreign minister said she believed the trilateral cooperation greatly contributes to peace and prosperity, even at a time of many unprecedented challenges. Pyongyang's recent military satellite launch and cooperation with Russia was also discussed at the meeting. Park said the three ministers agreed to continue communication to help resolve the current tensions on the peninsula. Jack Barton, CGTN. With extensive economic cooperation spanning trade, investment, and regional development, China, Japan, and South Korea have become key players in RCEP, constituting to over 80% of its GDP in trade. 
notably, trade volume between China and South Korea in 2022 reached $362 billion, while China-Japan trade was valued at $357 billion, that it was down 3.7% year-on-year. Now, consequently, South Korea then became China's fourth-largest trading partner. And prior to RCEP, the trial signed individual 10 plus 1 free trade agreements with ASEAN, Post RCEP, zero tariff goods between China and Japan expanded considerably, and both China and South Korea achieved 86% zero tariff coverage in bilateral trade. The ongoing negotiations for the China, Japan, and South Korea free trade agreement demonstrates the commitment to establishing one of the world's largest free trade zones. And to learn more about regional ties, let's bring in Chi Tian, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Uh, Mr. Chi, great to have you on the show as always. So the foreign ministers of the three countries just met for the first time in four years. What do you think are the key takeaways from the meeting in regard to economic and trade relations? Well, I think this meeting is very, very important. And to make sure that the three countries all understand that the trade and economic relations is the cornerstone of our relations. Well, even though we're facing lots of challenges, um, uh, most of them are political challenges. But still, I think this meeting that everybody to sit down and uh, to face to face have some dialogue and understand uh, China and Japan, for example, is still uh, the top uh, traders and uh, investors to each other. China and uh, Korea are very important trade partners with, with each other. And China is still the largest source for the Korea's uh, uh, you know, trade surplus sources, as well as Japan and uh, Korea together. They're forming a very large part of the semiconductor industries for the whole world. So the three countries together is a number two economy, number 14 economy, and a number four economy. The three countries sized up together actually equals to the whole European Union, the richest region in the whole world. Letting alone the three countries together also have a spillover effect towards ASEAN nations, another 10 very fast growing countries and regions in the whole world. And whole region in the Asian, uh, in the Eastern Asian together probably accounted for 50% of the world economy and also uh, like one fourth of the world population. So if we can guarantee the stability of the economy and the trade happened in this region, I mean the whole world will have a stability in the whole economy and will have a better future and expectation. And also, Mr. Chu, how do you think can the three countries work together to ensure stability of the region's supply chains? Well, I think right now, importantly, is for the three countries to put aside the differences in the political area and the facing towards how we can work together. I think we have all learned the lessons. For example, when uh, several years ago, when Japan and South Korea bonded up uh, with America, uh, under the Camp David mechanism so they can wage a, a chips war against China. And immediately they find out that this war cost the South Korea energy and a huge loss, as well as it happened with the EV industry and also other semiconductors. So I think after all these years, the three countries already understand having more dialogue, having more of the working mechanisms is the key to make sure that supply chain of the three countries can actually work. For example, uh, well, if probably a lot of audience do not have a clue. But let me put it this way. For example, for the pan purpose, the semiconductors used in LED panels, used in the solar panels, used in the EV, China, Korea, and Japan together will provide 90% of the semiconductors of the whole world, as well as for the vehicles. China, Japan, and Korea together will provide more than 50% of the vehicles for the whole world. So if the supply chain in Eastern Asia stops, I mean, literally, the whole world will, will stop. So I think 
out of all kinds of mechanisms, the three countries will find a way to cooperate with each other and achieve a triple win effect. Well, great insights. Thank you very much. And please stay with us, Mr. Chu, for more discussions down the program. Chinese authorities say that steps need to be taken to boost financial support for private companies. The People's Bank of China and seven other government departments and regulators jointly issued a statement that includes 25 measures. And according to the statement, efforts should be made to smooth financial channels for private companies, such as loans, bonds and equities. The tolerance for non-performing loans of private firms should also be reasonably increased while offering more support for first-time borrowers. Profits at China's industrial firms extended gains for a third month in October in a sign of strong economic recovery. Data from the National Bureau of Statistics shows that industrial profits increased 2.7% in October on a yearly basis, achieving three consecutive months of growth. The rise came on the back of a 12% gain in September. For the first 10 months of 2023, profits slid by 7.8% from a year ago, narrowing from a 9% decline in the first nine months. Economists say that the three consecutive months of positive profit growth suggest that the worst times when profitability was squeezed by high input costs were over. Digitalization is helping to promote green, intelligent and precise precision manufacturing in China's steel industry. Guangyang visited Unsteel Group in Liaoning province to find out how this is happening. Walking around one of China's oldest steel mills, you can hardly see any workers. Machines are the best friends of Zhang Minggang the production scheduling manager in a coating workshop. From delivering, loading to storage, pretty much everything was done manually before. Nowadays, the whole coating process is automated. As a pillar of society, steel making can be very complex because all steps are interdependent. This makes it challenging to adopt digitalization for efficient production management. This year, Ansteel rolled out a digital manufacturing plan prioritizing advanced technology and equipment, stable supply of resources, a higher level of automation and emissions reduction. The group's digital transformation calls for an integrated solution, building a system that connects devices, machinery and the people. Changes are seen not only in the production plants, but in areas like research and development as well. It took us five years to establish a system that fits into every aspect of research and development. Under the new platform, metallurgical testing, material design, evaluation, and standard setting are hooked together. Away from the production plants, the group has also upgraded the corporate compliance program for its subsidiaries. The all-in-one system is designed to reduce the risk of legal action or regulatory penalties for subsidiaries that comply with legal and ethical standards. The new system upholds the principle of building one unified platform, sharing one database and adhering to the same standards. The evaluations given by the program now plays a crucial role in decision-making. China accounts for over half of the world's steel production, and to survive in the challenging market environments of the metals industry, Experts suggest megatrends such as digitalization and decarbonization must be made a priority. Guangyang, CGTN.
And now for more discussions, let's bring back Mr. Chu Qiang from Beijing Foreign Studies University. So, Mr. Chu, we mentioned earlier that China today introduced new measures to bolster financial support for private economy. Uh, if, when we go over that measures, what do you think are the key highlights for businesses to pay attention to? You have to understand the private sector right now in China has a very important role because it provided more than 60% of the GDP and 70% of the job market and as well as the uh, you know, for 80% of the RMB investment. So that's the reason why I think the government paid extra attention to uh, the development of the private sector uh, currently. But I think the problem we have for them is that I think the channel to support them is still limited. Well, if you're in America uh, or if you are in the European Union, you probably will have a memory like 50 years ago when you want to borrow some money uh, to develop your company while well, you probably will walk into your neighborhood bank and sit by the counter and talk to the bankers inside of the bank and try to borrow some money through what we call indirect financing. This is a, well, very cautious, very stable way to get financed, but uh, it's very slow. It's not very effective. So it's more like an old style. But currently, if you go to the, you know, uh, developed nations like America, like, uh, you know, in UK, uh, direct financing, as we mentioned, like uh, the stock financing or bond financing become more and more mainstream and popular. So this is what we need for the private sector in China right now. So for SMEs, especially the lack of the collaterals. So they always feel, you know, a lack of something so they can walk into the bank and borrow money through the bank because banks are very cautious. But now we should allow them to use their stock as collateral, to use their IPR as a collateral, or to borrow money directly through the bond market or the pink sheet market. That's how they can borrow money more effectively, more effectively with a lower cost. So uh, if this channel can be built and developed, I think um, private sectors will have a bigger leap forward. And I think this 24-5 measures, if you look down, dip down into it, you will find out most of the measures that try to support to build this direct financing channels in China to support private sectors. Right, and indeed, uh, financing channels are, if we can make them easier, that should be very important for those private firms, especially small and, uh, small and medium-sized firms. And also, uh, we talked about those latest figures showing industrial firms saw their profits grow for a third consecutive month in October. That certainly is a good sign. Uh, however, year on year, in terms of year on year comparison, uh, we are seeing a contraction still since the start of March, uh, albeit at a slower pace. So what really, what insights can we draw from this? Well, I think first of all, Chinese economy is still very resilient, that's for sure, because we all know that China is the world factory. As long as the whole world is still functioning and running, uh, made in China well provided due share part for the world economy, will still make profit and support the whole world's operation, that's for sure. But also, we still have some, you know, worries about the current economy. I think the shrinking of the numbers are what well, we break down into it. We will find out uh, the high-tech manufacturing is still have a very high speed growth. That's for sure. Which means the core, uh, the core of the world economy or the backbone of the world economy is still functioning. But uh, you will find out other kind of the manufacturing products like the uh, toys, like the T-shirts, or like the daily supplies. I've been shrinking, even though we're getting close to the Christmas season. So it shows the world demand has been shrinking. Uh, if you take a look at the Black Friday numbers in uh, North America, you find out people or the shoppers are getting more and more cautious. They feel, you know, not so bold to buy new things. So the demand, well, has been shrinking. As well as we've been seeing domestically in China, uh, the property market is also uh, still slow. 
we still need time to recover the expectations. And uh, so the construction demand and other spendings in this area remain need to be recovered. So as long as we can address these two problems in the coming years, I think uh, the made in China or China manufacturing and export will have a better day. Well, great insights. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today. That's Mr. Chi Chang, Research Fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. And according to research from Adobe Analytics, U.S. consumers spent a record $9.8 billion this Black Friday online, and that is a 7.5% jump from last year. Shoppers also took to stores across the country looking for discounted products in the kickoff to the holiday shopping season, crucial for big retailers. Nathan King has more from Washington. It was 6 a.m. Friday morning, Macy's department store in Manhattan. The turkey barely digested, but Americans doing what they do best. They went shopping. U.S. consumers also spent over $5 billion on Thanksgiving Day itself and are set to spend even more on Cyber Monday when online behemoths like Amazon offer deep discounts on online purchases. Deep discounts seem to be what's been pulling in the people this year. Sales may be at record highs, but profits may not be. Many retailing giants, from Abercrombie & Fitch to Walmart, have warned that this holiday shopping period may be weaker than expected. Retailers and consumers already are having a great holiday season. So yesterday, consumers purchased more than they've ever purchased before. We saw $5.6 billion of uh, purchases and products yesterday bought, and then that's a 5.5% increase from year over year last year. Retailers are finding that consumers are a little tighter with their dollar in that they're spending more with on essential goods and services. So what that means is that they've had to increase the amount of discounts that they have across products. After Black Friday, many millions of American travelers, however, returning from the Thanksgiving break, may be seeing red. The winter weather alert has been stretching across 11 states from New York to Texas. Heavy snow has been hitting the Rocky Mountain states hard with Wyoming getting several inches of snow. Chicago also could be hit, which is a main transport air hub. Heavy rain is also set to pummel the East Coast too. The good news for Americans and the American economy is that it looks like U.S. Thanksgiving travel is back to pre-pandemic levels. 49 million drivers expect to have taken to the roads uh, this Thanksgiving weekend and 2.9 million Americans flying. And with gas prices coming down and airline tickets prices falling too, well, that makes it a more normal Thanksgiving and Americans for that giving thanks. Nathan King, CGTN, Washington. The first China International Supply Chain Expo with the theme of connecting the world for a shared future will be held in Beijing from November the 28th to December the 2nd. While this year's event will feature more than 20 different activities covering new product releases, exchanges and discussions, as well as docking negotiations. The expo will have areas dedicated to supply chains for five major sectors, smart vehicles, green agriculture, clean energy, healthy living, and digital technology. Over 1,000 participants, including representatives from government departments, business communities, and international organizations around the world will attend the five-day event.
Ten years back, emerging markets were being encouraged to engage with global network of supply chains. And today, we are in a new era of supply chain dislocation and uncertainty. At this critical moment, China's hosting of this very first supply chain expo demonstrates its commitment to ensure that we remain connected on a global scale. Wang Ke has more. We might have taken it for granted the seamless shopping experience from a single online click to doorstep delivery. Crafting this experience for billions involves navigating a sophisticated global network of supply chains with intensified trade in intermediate goods over the past few decades. Production has become fragmented. Producers can source materials from the countries with the lowest costs, allowing them to serve distant markets through numerous establishments scattered around the globe. As a major beneficiary of the global supply chain, China has grown to contribute nearly 30% of the world's total manufacturing output. This worked well in the past, but in recent years, companies have begun prioritizing reduced risks in a global supply chain over cheaper costs. In a post-pandemic world dealing with ongoing trade conflicts, some companies are actively reshoring bring back operations once moved overseas to where they were originally located. But this will be costly. The combined cost for U.S. and European companies to move manufacturing out of China would come to a hefty $1 trillion in the next five years. China, on the other hand, is busy securing smooth and stable global connections. This commitment is underscored by its hosting of the world's first national-level expo, solely dedicated to supply chains. Wang Ke, CGTN. And my colleague Zhen Jingfeng spoke to Yu Jianlong, vice chairman of the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade, to learn the significance of holding the supply chain expo. Yu also shared his thoughts on China's role in the global industrial chain. What's the significance of the first China International Supply Chain Expo? Holding the CIC is a practical move by the China Council for Promotion of International Trade to implement the spirit of President Xi Jinping's important remarks about maintaining the stability and smoothness of global industrial and supply chains. I think the Expo promotes openness and cooperation in global industrial and supply chains. The Expo demonstrates China's firm determination to expand high-level openness. The Expo meets the common aspirations of the international business community to create a stable and smooth global industrial and supply chain system. We heard news that this Expo has attracted a lot of U.S. companies to participate. Can you share with us some details? Well, the first China International Supply Chain Expo has received a warm response from U.S. companies. The number of American exhibitors has far exceeded expectations. American exhibitors will account for about 20% of the total number of overseas exhibitors at the event. Many industry leaders from the United States will participate in the CISCE. Fortune 500 companies including Amazon, ExxonMobil, Apple, FedEx, Tesla, General Medical, Intel, HP, Qualcomm, and Honeywell will send senior representatives to the exhibition. Many exhibitors will hold special events and product launches at the CISCE. For example, Honeywell is scheduled to display the first auxiliary power unit for wide-body aircraft. What's your understanding of China's role in the current international industrial and supply chains? As the country with the most complete industrial categories and the most 
comprehensive supporting facilities according to the United Nations standards. China has led the world in the scale of its manufacturing industry for 13 consecutive years, accounting for about 30% of the global share. With a population of over 1.4 billion and more than 400 million middle-income people, China is the world's second-largest consumer market and has been the second-largest importer globally for 14 consecutive years. How can we enhance the openness, inclusiveness, and resilience of global supply chains? Well, deepening international economic and trade interactions is crucial to maintaining the stability and smoothness of global industrial and supply chains. Expanding cooperation and technological innovation provides solid support for maintaining the stability and smoothness of global industrial and supply chains. Strengthening global economic governance is a strong guarantee for maintaining the stability and smoothness of global industrial and supply chains. Hosting exhibitions plays a vital role in driving economic growth. The increased influx of visitors translates into higher consumer spending and has a positive impact on local businesses. In China, exhibitions are instrumental to positioning cities as dynamic hubs for commerce and innovation on the global stage. Yu Boquin reports. The exhibition economy, it refers to all the economic stuff happening at the trade shows and conventions, what some call it the city spread because it brings in all the economic benefits to the city. But in China, the exhibition activities are bouncing back big time this year with a noticeable spike in growth. China International Exhibition Center Group is one of the major exhibition hosting companies in China. It is now preparing for the upcoming Supply Chain Expo, which is the first of its kind in the world. The expo focuses on bringing together the upstream, midstream, and downstream sectors of an industry chain to help people understand their connections. Our goal is not only to foster contract signing, but more importantly, to help companies to build a stable global supply chain. According to the Union of International Affairs, China now has the world's second largest exhibition venue area, surpassed only by the United States. The concept of China's exhibition industry is becoming increasingly aligned with international development. In terms of greening, digitization and internationalization, we can catch up with and even lead internationally. These events go beyond product showcases. They're the economic powerhouses propelling growth in diverse industries, all from Shanghai CIIE and Beijing Cities to Hainan Consumption and Trade Expo and the Canton Fair. Over 3,000 exhibitions were held in the first three quarters of the year, with that is over 30% jump from the same period in 2019. Experts emphasize that organizing exhibitions plays a pivotal role in driving the city's economic growth. Taking the Canton Fair, it generates revenue 15 billion yuan itself, but it brings the benefit of around 200 billion yuan to the city of Guangzhou. Hosting an exhibition in the city is bound to stimulate consumption in various aspects. In the meantime, a surge in exhibitions is fostering global collaboration and attracting international interest in China's dynamic market. Earlier this year, Shanghai has unveiled a three-year action plan aiming to transfer the city into an international exhibition capital. Yu Bokun, CGTN. And with that, I'm wrapping up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. Thanks for being with us. I'm Lulu in Beijing.